We're reading the whole chapter of chapter 6 of Zechariah. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered, These are the four spirits of heaven, going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going towards the north country, the one with the white horses towards the west, and the one with the dappled horses towards the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, Go throughout the earth, so that they went throughout the earth. Then he called to me, Look, those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. The word of the Lord came to me, Take silver and gold from the exiles, from the exiles, Heldai, Devijah, and Dediah, who have arrived from Babylon. <coughs> Excuse me. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Jephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown, and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Josodek. Tell him that this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be the priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Heldai, Tobijah, Jediadiah, and Hen, the son of Jephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the, God, of the Lord. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord, and he will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Good morning. Uh, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the ministers here. If I haven't met you, uh, I'm going to pray and then let's open up the Word of God together. Our God and King, our ruler and friend, our priest and Lord. We pray that as we dive into this uh, vision and then this dramatic performance that you might help us to understand what it is that is going on. And we pray that in understanding what it is that is going on, that that might encourage us, that that might challenge us and convict us, and that that might spur us on to know how it is we might walk faithfully in the world today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you might have caught it in the reading, you might not have, uh, but today's passage kind of fits into two blocks. So you have the final vision. So Zechariah, we have had eight visions so far, and this comes to the end of those visions, and those visions close out with the second part, and that is a dramatic performance, a, a skit, if you will, um, designed to kind of Pause those sitting there to question and to wonder and to look ahead at to what is to come. Uh, Zechariah is speaking to a uh, people who have 
returned home. We've covered this every week, but it needs to be said they've returned home. They've been in foreign lands. They have uh, been uh, in foreign countries as refugees, um, prisoners of war, really, uh, and they now have the opportunity to return home. So they've returned home, but in returning home, after 70 years, they've returned to ashes. They've returned to um, salted crops. They've returned home to destroyed buildings. And there has to be this wondering of, have we done the right thing in coming back? Imagine being a mother with small children at that time, right? You kind of come back in and you kind of go, have I just signed a death sentence for my children? Or have I signed them up for generational poverty? Because how are we ever going to rebuild? And not just rebuild, but the nations around us which destroyed us, decimated us in devastating ways. Like we're talking about um, crimes that you just don't, they, they don't show on the news today because they're so horrific. We're talking about some of the most brutal nations in human history. And that these nations are kind of surrounding them and you now are setting up shop. You're trying to rebuild, reestablish your home in a place without walls, without an army, without a king to protect you. And it is in this setting that Zechariah gets these eight visions and this final vision kind of is a bookmark to the first vision. So if you remember in the first vision, there was uh, horses that scouted throughout the land and it was this reminder that these God, the God's scouts have gone un, um, unwavered, unwavered? unhindered throughout all the land that that no one has that not a cry in the night that uh, not a bird has fallen from its nest that not a tear from a, uh, runs down a cheek that the lord has not seen not a victim that has gone oppressed that is unknown unheard And what we see in this final one, so that's the first one, and then in the eighth one what we see today is that God is not pathetic towards those who have been oppressed. Because as you are trying to set up shop, there has to be this wondering as to, well, what about those people that brutalized our families? What about those people that I murdered my brother or sister, my parents, my grandparents. Will they just get away with it? And the answer we see in this first vision is not a chance. Not a chance. What happens is uh, there are four chariots that are sent out 
that kind of descend from heaven. And chariots in those days, they are the ultimate symbol of strength, of kind of power, of might. You know, if you imagine uh, the the charge, in the, like if you think Lord of the Rings, right, the charge at Gondor where the horses are all lined up and they kind of just charge down and you have these ordinary soldiers and pikemen kind of standing there and the horses just mow down, mow them down, right? And chariots are kind of, uh, the ultimate sign of strength and weaponry in the ancient world. That you cannot flee from it and that no ordinary troop stands a chance. And so in verse 1 we get, I looked up again and there before me were four chariots coming out between two mountains, mountains of bronze. These mountains seem to be um, kind of uh, representative of kind of the doorposts of heaven, kind of the gates of heaven, the the archway to heaven. And uh, like if you imagine an archway, these this archway are mountains of bronze. That wasn't great English, was it? They are mountains of bronze. I should stick more to my notes. Uh, have you ever walked into a cathedral before? I remember when I was about nine, ten years old, and uh, we, our family in Europe, and so we went to Europe. It's still the holiday that my uh, parents are greatly grieved by because they spent so much money, and I spent the whole time just reading in the car. And they're like, well, why did we pay thousands and thousands of, like, you could have done this back home. Uh, and as like a nine, ten year old, you're like, yeah, I could have. Like, that's not very, like, geography wasn't hugely interesting, right? For a ten year old boy. And then you walk into the cathedral at Notre Dame. And kind of the roof is like a thousand miles high. And you get this sense of just like, wow, like the breath goes out from you. And there's a dauntingness that you kind of feel, a smallness that you kind of feel. And here is the king, the kingdom, whose doorposts are mountains mountains of bronze. And the idea is, what would it be like to walk into that throne room? How high is that ceiling? And and out of those mountains of bronze, we are told, we're told, verse 2, that the the first chariot had red horses, the second black, third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. And I know what you're wondering, what's dappled? It doesn't really matter, but it's kind of a mixed, a mixed color, a rainbow. And I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? 
And the angel answered me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horse is going toward the north country. That's Babylon. That's the ones who kind of destroyed and decimated them. The one with the white horses is going towards the west, and the one with the dappled horses is going towards the south, probably Egypt. They're great enemies. And the idea is that these horses, these chariots, are going to the ends of the earth. And if you're kind of wondering, well, what about the fourth chariot, right? Part of it is, well, we don't know, right? There's a few speculations. I think probably the most natural read, and this is what most of the commentators say, is that the fourth chariot seems to, the red horses, they seem to remain in Israel. Why? Because the emperor's first and greatest warriors protect his kingdom. And so it's kind of, they remain there to protect, is is I think what is the natural read there. But uh, but his judgment is going out, his justice is going out to all the ends of the earth. And it is this idea of God bearing a sword that, that doesn't sit great in our culture. That, if we are honest, uh, makes us feel a little uneasy, makes us feel a little uncomfortable, makes us go, why did I invite my friend this week to church? And yet, at the same time, we do want a God who will right wrongs. We do want a God that won't just let evil get away with it. That those that prey on the vulnerable at night won't just get away with it. And see, Zechariah, he isn't preaching in lecture halls. He isn't preaching in white-walled rooms in a well-established building in a comfortable country. He is speaking to people, like I said at the start, with tear-stained faces. Anxious people. People who have are returning from trauma, working through what it looks like after they have just been decimated by one of the most brutal nations in human history. People that witnessed, according to Psalm 137, infants. Imagine this, saying infants, the Babylonians took over Jerusalem, and when they took over, they took the infants and they dashed their heads against the rocks. And here is the promise that God will not let them just get away with it. That evil will not have the final word. That he will right the wrongs. That he will bring about justice. That he will bring about vengeance. That he will balance the scales. Marislav Voch, I think that's how you rightly pronounce his name. Can we pull it up on the screen? Thanks, Roger. Sorry, I forgot the clicker. So, 
um, you're going to have to play catch up a little bit. Um, or just throw the clicker at me. Um, oh, here we are. Beautiful. I can take over from here. Here we are. Yeah. Miroslavov, that's, that's how you say his name. Uh, he's Croatian and, um, he wrote this book called, um, Exclusion and Embrace. And here's what he writes. He says, we live in a time, particularly in the West, where we don't like the idea of a God of vengeance because we are fearful that if people believe in a God of vengeance, that that will encourage them to take, to um, become more violent, to be less tolerant of people. And so if you believe in a God of judgment, you'll be more judgmental. If you believe in a God who takes up the sword, you're more likely to take up the sword. And here's actually what he writes. Here's kind of what he concludes. He's Croatian. He was raised in Yugoslavia where he has seen much of kind of uh, the genocide, much of the kind of terrible atrocities that, the people in ancient Israel had experienced. And here's what he says. He says, the practice of non-violence requires a belief in divine vengeance. Let me say it again. He says, the practice of non-violence requires a belief in divine vengeance. He says, violence thrives today, secretly nourished, by the belief that God refuses to take the sword. If you do this, if you lecture like this, soon you will discover that it takes the quiet suburb, it takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of a thesis that human nonviolence is the result of a God who refuses to judge. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, the idea will invariably die like other pleasant captives of the liberal mind. In a world of violence, it would not be worthy of God not to wield the sword. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not take a final step, uh, did not take a final end to violence, that guy would not be worthy of our worship. Here's what he says. When you are a victim of injustice, you have to pay back unless. When you're the victim of injustice, you have to repay like for like unless you believe that in the end there is a God who will right all injustices. That there is a God who will right the wrongs. That there is a God who is going to settle every account. That nobody will just get away with it. He concludes that it is with a God of vengeance, right, proper, that that actually cultivates and facilitates people to love their enemies. Because if you do not have to repay like for like, when you are mistreated, you can forgive. When you are wronged, you can show grace. You can extend mercy. Why? Because you can hand that over to God. 
that it is this God that allows us to overcome evil with good rather than holding it against them. And yet here's the problem. Here is the problem. If there is a God who is going to settle every account so that nobody gets away with anything, that is problematic for you and me. As another great writer once put, if there is no judge in the end, what hope is there for the world? But if there is a judge in the end, what hope is there for you and me? And this is where we get to the skit. This is where we get to the the performance at the end of all these visions. And it is a performance where he says, go and visit three exiles, these three kind of foreigners. And I want you to get their gifts of silver and gold. And because silver and gold don't really kind of meld well together, it's this sense of, intertwine them, kind of weave them together so they kind of form this kind of woven, twiny kind of crown. And get that that interwoven, wind up crown and place it on the head of the high priest Joshua. And this crown woven of silver and gold mixed in, is going to represent figure to come. A figure to come that we're just told is the branch. Verse 12. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from this place and build the temple to the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed in majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. That here is a symbol of things to come. One who will come who will be both priest and king. A king whose role it is to administer justice, to protect his subjects. And a priest whose role it is to to stand between God and men and to mediate, to make peace between God and men. And there will be one who will come and this man will be called the branch. And through this man, God might be able to judge, but he also might be able to show justice and offer mercy. See, if he was just a king, uh, then evil and selfishness might be dealt with, but what hope would there be for you and I? If he was just a king, evil, selfishness, that could be dealt with. Justice could be done. But if justice is going to be done, what hope is there for you and I? And if he were just a priest, he he could extend mercy. But it would be a cheap mercy, one in which justice is never really paid, where things are swept under the rug. But it is here 
in this twined up crown where judgment and mercy meet, the priest and the king. So that justice might be shown, so that mercy might be available, but justice not overlooked. And you want to know what's really cool and interesting? Here's what Zechariah says, verse 12. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man who's what? Whose name is the branch. You know who's the crown on? Joshua. You know what Joshua's Greek name is? Jesus. So Jesus is actually Joshua in the Old Testament. That's the the name. Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Here is the man. Like, literally, God is kind of pointing to him. Here is the man whose name, whose name is the branch. And he is a symbol of this priest and king to come, this one who will hold all strength and yet offer all mercy. See the king who made the sun, the moon and the shining stars. Let the soldiers hold and nail him down so that he could save them. How about I pray? Lord God, we thank you that you are not just a king, but that you came as a a priest and as a man so that you might be able to uphold justice while still extending mercy. We pray that you might be enabling us, reminding us, encouraging us so that we too might entrust justice to you while offering mercy to others, grace to others. Amen.